Testing, testing, testing. Marlo, are you there? Testing, Marlo. I'm here. Can you hear me? Good. All right, I'll meet you back. Thanks a lot. Sure. to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends. All right, bring you the absolute very best in all of women's athletics and HBCU sports. We have a great, great edition of our show tonight. And we want to, before we get started, say hello tonight, co-hosted with me, Dr. Marlo Kemp. Marlo, and Mike, tell them hello, and Jim may be joining us later on. Marlo, all right. say hello. Good evening, Dr. Burke. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Glad you're on. All righty. And I'm also going to say hello to Jim. Jim, can we hear you? Yeah, good evening, Dr. Burke. All right, you're coming in very low, Jim. Very low. We'll give you one more try. We may have to put you in the chat box. Coming in super low. All righty. Okay. Well, almost time for school start back and uh, young folks will be on campus for approximately two weeks and uh, we've had a great summer. Uh, but we want to start off tonight with our Women of the Month. <clears throat> None other, you know it, Miss Pearl Moore, you know by now. And uh, we have one more week with Miss Moore. She's been a great, great, great Woman of the Month. The all-time leading scorer, Pearl Moore, Women's college basketball. And I just want to state this for some reminders for her. I remember during her junior year at St. Francis Marion College, she scored a single game record 60 points and 114 to 71 victory over Eastern Washington State College in the 1978 AIAW Small College National Tournament. In her final collegiate game, March 5th, 1979, 
an AIAW small college regional tournament consolation game against the University of Tennessee Chattanooga. She tallied 42 points to break the previous all-time record of 4,045 career points set by Travis Grant of Kentucky State University. Mrs. Marion, again in her career, scored a total of college of 4,061 points. And what was so phenomenal about Pearl Moore, not only she averaged 30.6 points a game over four seasons at college, uh, but also <clears throat> she only scored below 20 points only eight times in her French Marion career. And she played 127 games. She reached the 50-point mark on three occasions. And in her junior year alone, she scored 1,109 points in one season. She was a phenomenal player, not just a uh, scorer. She grabbed 1,270 rebounds. She shot 45.9% from the field, uh, which was a school record. And she also, at the time, she shot 70% from the free throw line, which at that time, was a school record. So Marlo, what do you think? One more time, Miss Pearl Moore. I'm excited. Marlo? I'm here, I'm sorry. I, I'm excited, you know, just that we are sharing her information once again with everyone who did not know about her, um, which is, I'm guilty because I definitely did not know about Miss Moore, but definitely she will not be forgotten um, just to score that many points um, in the number of years that she played basketball. And then you would think that you were talking about, you know, someone who was about six over six feet and she was only five, seven and played her position as a guard. Um, so, I mean, I think it's phenomenal and we just, so happy that you brought her to the forefront. Um, way to go, Miss Pearl Moore. Pearl Moore. Jim, let me give you another try. See if you can come in. Jim. Cliff, can you hear yes, me? Not much okay, better my, my earphones weren't connected. I'm sorry about that. In, uh, the, about um, in the era of today where we where more games are being played, it's you know ironic that she did it way back in the 70s when they weren't playing as many games which is a testimony to her being able to score. Oh, yeah. And no three-point line. Yes. And no three-point line. Yeah. I'd love to see what she would do today. I'm sure she would hold her own. So, Pearl Moore, we have one more week with her, and uh, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. Pearl. All right. As we mentioned earlier, Students are coming back. What do we have, Jim? Two more weeks and students will be back on campus at our HBCUs? Well, yeah, if you're playing football or in the band, you probably be back next week. I know Mark's daughter is going back next week for the band. All right. So they're, start, they're starting to come in. Okay. So they have our listing that comes out every year. We have two lists, U.S. News and World Report. That's one of them. And uh, it lists the top 10 rated HBCUs in 2023. Now they use different criteria, but um, well, let's see what we have here. Number one, they said Spelman College Private School. <clears throat> Jim, your daughter goes there, correct? Yes. 
All righty. Yes, she does. All righty. Number two, Howard University. All righty. Number three, Tuskegee University. Number four, now Jim, your son went there. Morehouse College. Yes. Five, JB University. Mm -hmm. Number six, Hampton University. The only state school, HBCU, and they're ranked number seven, Florida A&M University Rattlers. The only public school on the list. But no, there's a second one. Number eight, Delaware State University. Number nine, out of South Carolina, Claflin University. And also tied, number nine. Who you think it is, Dr. Kemp? Fifth University. Nope, nope, nope. North Carolina A&P University. So no, Fisk is not on there. Tennessee State's not on there. And uh, but that, that's just one poll. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to keep looking uh, over time. But <clears throat> these are all great schools. We can't deny it. And uh, we wanna just continue to support our schools as we uh, move forward. Jim, this is just a exciting time of year when you think of all the kids, a lot first generation that are lining up and heading to campus at HBCUs. Um, and Dr. Kemp, you as well. Tell us about your times and, and what it meant to you uh, heading to school, HBCU, this time of year. Jim? Oh, I thought Marla was going first, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah. To me, you know, I went to a private Jesuit school for high school. I needed to change. Fisk University provided that change for me. Was able to meet, you know, people, lifelong friends such as yourself and others. And it's just a small, close-knit community that I, I needed and helped me grow as a man. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kemp? Um, looking back, it was very exciting very scary um <clears throat> just being a, a far away from home um but once you know you got there you you tend to you know meet new friends long lasting friendships uh meet a lot of people that was also surprisingly from your hometown um lots of fun lots of bonding um you know you just you you were there you you kind of on your own for the first time and you, um, of course, remembering what your parents taught you. Um, um, but at the same time, you had to kind of navigate, you know, just new territory, you know, on your own. So it kind of helped you become independent and grow up um, out of the shadows of, you know, your your siblings or your parents, but a lot of, of fun and 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 a lot of growth you know i think um if everyone get a chance to go away at least for one semester um I, you know i think it's definitely um worth it so I, it's just long-lasting memories you know i wish i could go back yeah yeah hbcus to be everything uh jesse jackson once said that anybody could take a gym and make a gym it's when they take a roughed up stone, uh, a stone that society is ordinarily saying wouldn't make it and uh, and turn them into a gym, shine them up. And that's definitely what Fisk University did for me. Um, 
many of you know the story that I started out high school with an F average in chemistry and Fisk University helped make me into a chemistry major and get a master's degree before heading to med school. So, hey, HBCUs, you know what they mean, y'all. All righty. Alrighty, now let's move on. We've been talking about powerful women in sports, powerful women in sports, especially in the uh, executive position and women who have made a difference. And tonight we wanna to bring a few to you and I want you to give me a comment. Rachel Den Hollander. Now who is Rachel Den Hollander? She was the woman who was the first woman to publicly accuse Dr. Nassar, he was the uh, gymnastics doctor, disgrace from Michigan, of sexual Michigan abuse in State. 2016. Michigan State of sexual abuse in 2016. And this move was followed by several, over 500 girls, including Olympus gold medalist Simone Bow. It eventually led to that doctor's conviction and also some other actions, hopefully to improve the situation for a female gymnast who may be getting ready for the Olympics and practicing gymnastics. Jim, what do you think about Miss Rachel in Hollander having the courage to speak up what she did and the whole situation of correcting with Dr. Nassar? Well, it took well, a lot, like you it said, took it took a lot of courage, but once she got in and the floodgates opened, you know, everybody was to see the horror that Dr. Larry Nassar was and led to him being put in jail. Michigan State had to pay a nine-figure fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, much to the betterment of the women who are our gymnastic team. And yeah. uh, other women in the school. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kemp? Um, I think it was just amazing that she was able, <clears throat> excuse me, to... Um, you know, just rally her former teammates um, and just former players, I'm sorry, gymnasts, um, you know, just to be able to speak out and bring to the forefront everything that he, you know, allegedly did, you know, to them and was actually convicted, you know, for doing. She's definitely a powerful attorney. So what she was able, you know, to to use her skills, you know, to bring this information to the forefront and, and help, um, you know, help them uncover mm -hmm. you know, all the things that he has been doing, you know, to them as well as, you know, other, other gymnasts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she is to be applauded and we're going to give one more, just one more. Miss Michelle Roberts, executive director of the national basketball players association. Now, we talked a little bit about it on the show before, but she took over as the head of the NBA Players Association in July of 2014, and she inherited an office that was a mess. Predecessor Billy Hunter, he had been ousted after a long, stormy tenure, marked by, among other things, criticism that he had employed several of his family members at the NBA. She quickly established herself as the person to clean house, and with the NBA commissioner Adam Silver turned the contentious collective bargaining agreement which resulted in a lockout in 2011 into a relative breeze. This trial lawyer, by way of being a public defender, she earns high praise from players for advocating for their value on and off the court as the league sets marketing 
and rating record, Michelle Robert. I'm gonna come to you first, Dr. Kim. What do you think about it? Yeah, I like uh, Miss Roberts, another attorney. Um, you know, she's definitely has helped to keep the um, NBA players and the NBA organization itself in line. Um, she actually also brought the Black Lives Matter um, movement, you know, to them in, you know, in terms of helping them and probably recognize, you know, just uh, social issues that have been going on and they need to, you know, also be able to participate in and probably brought the legality uh, matter, you know, to them so they are able to um, express their voices. So, I mean, I think she's phenomenal. Jim? Yes, she, uh, like I said, she cleaned house. She also was able to get her successor, another black female, to the NBA Players Association uh, leadership role, mm -hmm. which I think is vitally important, not only that you are a trailblazer, but you don't end that trail with you. You make yeah. sure to bring others with you. Great point. Great point, Jim. All right. So tonight, Michelle Roberts and Rachel the Hollander, we applaud you. Cheer you on. All right. Last week, we had such a great show that we didn't go over our winners from Wimbledon. Okay, let me review this with you quickly. Uh, the Wimbledon tournament, the men's single, Carlos Alcaraz, he won the singles. He is from the same country as Nadal. Am I right, Jim? Yes. Yeah. Spain, I believe. Yeah. Very powerful young man. I think he is the future of tennis right now. And uh, we had some Americans who did well, but he was the champion. And the women's singles, Marquita Von Zusova, she was unseated, okay? And she beat Jabor from Tunisia in the women's final. And so uh, congratulations to her. Great job. Now, in the juniors division, the girls and women's 17-year-old from uh, Africa won the junior division. Her name is... Clervy, C-L-E-R-V-I-E, Nunu, N-G-O-U-N-O-U-E. I believe this young lady in the previous tournament, French Open, ended up winning the double finals. Correct me if I'm wrong, Clervy, but she won the singles. Am I right? She's phenomenal. Uh, Jim? You know, that was a little known fact. I did not know that until you uh, put it out, but that's great. We need to hear more of that. You know, that we have a, a person that won the singles title at Wimbledon, which is huge. Oh, yeah. And the junior singles. Yeah. Dr. Kemp, did you hear about her? I did. <clears throat> yes, she did. She won the girls' singles um, uh, in Wimbledon. And then she also won. Um, Let's see, she made it to the quarterfinals for the at the French Open for the juniors and was the junior winner um at, at Wimbledon. Okay. So I, yeah, I did. So she is on the up and coming. And uh, yes, let's just did. give that young lady a big clap. Yes. Kirby. 
Thanks for coming up in the morning, Dr. Blake. I love him. Okay. A record has been shattered in Monaco from Kenya this past weekend. Faith <coughs> Kippy Gong, K-I-P-Y-E-G-O-N. This young lady in the mile set the new record four minutes, 7.64 seconds, and she shattered the old record by about six seconds. Wow. She was running. And uh, a few months ago, I believe in the 1,000, I mean, on the 1,500 meters, she also set a world record. But she's from Kenya. So um, we don't want to let that slip by. Jim, what do you think about this? Her name is Faith. Yes, sir. Kippy. This is, this is a great record because it stood for a long time. You know, women still have not broken the four-minute uh, mark, but she's close. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing her next year in the Olympics, see what she can do. Oh, yeah. The nation of Kenya is proud. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts? Faith, oh, yeah. Kippy, Egon. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I'm like Jim. I can't wait to see her um, in the Olympics again next year. Um, she's a two-time Olympian, um, usually run the 1,500 meters. So we, it's going to be exciting just to see what type of uh, record that she will break probably at the Olympics. So exciting. Way to go, yeah. Faith. Yeah, Faith. The nation of, of Kenya and the late, great Kip Kano is turning over this grave, the legendary runner. Kenya, yes, sir. Faith. Go ahead, Jim. Kenya has had a nice legacy of uh, long-distance runners in the past. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. suppose they will continue to do so by Absolutely. Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Gymnastics. We were busy last week. We missed this one. Two legends are returning to the gymnastics field. Simone Biles, who we know in the last Olympics, she withdrew from some events. She said she was having some, uh, some mental, some pressures. She's getting therapy, but she said she's coming back and she wants to participate, hopefully make the team and be in the next Olympics. And, uh, and then legendary Gabby Douglas says she can't stay away. She's also training and plans on coming back starting next month competing and she wants to participate hopefully in the olympics i believe they're in paris marlo yes. what are your thoughts on these two legends and then we're coming to you jim now gabby will be the oldest olympian if she makes it she's 27 now but what do you mm -hmm. think about these two legends and what if they both came back dr Kelly. I cannot wait to see if they make the olympic team i am just like really rooting for both of them um and they are just two powerhouses, you know, um, that if they're able to make this team, um, man, they, they, better, they better watch out. Um, hopefully if they still, you know, can train and are, you know, still as good as they were before, you know, of course, they're, they are a little older. Um, but it's going to be really interesting just to see if they make the, you know, make the teams, um, make the U.S. team and able to participate. I, I can't wait, I'm excited. And it'll be very exciting for, you know, just other 
young girls too, um, you know, that are coming up in the gymnastic field, especially, you know, of course, with you, uh, Fizz having their um, gymnastics team. So, of course, that'll give them something to shoot for too. So, it's exciting, yeah. exciting. I hope they can definitely make it. <clears throat> and, and this year, Talladega is yes. also adding a team. So, we have two HBCUs. Jim, what are your thoughts on these two legends? He's too legend. Well, just a little talk about mm -hmm. Simone Bile first and, you know, yeah. some of the, uh, you know, her, I guess call it what it is, mental, I won't say illness, but, you know, mental, like a yip. Mm -hmm. You know, this is when you are in gymnastics where you have, you, rarely there's a perfect score, you're critiqued all the time. I can see a lot of that, you know, even with tennis, with Naomi Osaka suffering some things like that. You know, mental illness is real, and we need to be there to support people instead of just poo-pooing it. Yeah. But I, it would, I would love to see those two get back in and lead the U U.S. to gold again. Mm -hmm. Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles. Yes, give them both a hand and a clap. They've already been phenomenal in gymnastics coming back. Trying to give us some hope. All righty. We want to say happy birthday. To, and then we'll go to commercial. Then we're going to come back. But we can't leave it out. Happy birthday to Rachel Robinson. She turned 101 last week. And uh, Rachel Robinson is the wife of Jackie Robinson, the late Jackie Robinson, who passed over 51 years ago. But she is a legend in her own right. Her lifelong fight justice and racial equality still carries on to this day. And um, they say behind, but I think beside, sometimes in front of every great man is a great woman. And I think the world is now realizing how great Rachel Robinson is. 101, still fighting for racial justice. What do you think? Dr. Kim, Rachel. Phenomenal lady. Um, nurse, widow of Doc, uh, Jackie, Jackie Robinson. Uh, and hey, like you said, what can you say? Uh, besides every great man, there is a great woman. And she was definitely there all the way through. Um, and I mean, she was just, you could tell she was amazing. She actually, I was reading up on her and she actually received, she has received 12 honorary doctorates. And she mm -hmm. actually doesn't live too close to it don't live too far from us over here in the great state of connecticut so um it's just it's just awesome just to read about her um and i'm pretty sure she's definitely what i enjoyed reading she also kept his legacy um in the forefront by starting the foundation his foundation and which has opened since 1973 so my hat goes off to you ms robinson yeah jim yes. Rachel. Robinson. We lost Jackie early because of diabetes and just the, the overall stress that he had to deal with being the first African-American in the major leagues. But Rachel does not look over. She still looks no. good. <laughs> and, you know, she is like like uh, Marlo said, carried on, took, took the banner to another level. And I think you have to give her kudos, like Cliff said, behind every good man is a good woman. Did you say behind you know, or beside? What did you say, Jim? Beside? I'm going to say beside. <laughs> All right. 
I'm going to change that to beside. Yeah. I don't, we just I do by, not want to get in trouble. <laughs> we were just joined by the Hall of Fame of Renee Spencer from Fisk University. Uh, just talking about Mrs. Robinson. Rachel Robinson just celebrated her 101 birthday. All right. We're going to go. 30-second break tonight. We're coming right back. Right back. Welcome back. Got the Cliff Burton Friends featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports. HBCU Athletics, all 16 engaged in our studio tonight, and number 10 eligible to type in the pack chat. And so here we go. Irvin, now this is a women's statement, but we're going to talk about it. Irvin Magic Johnson, now an owner, minority owner of the Washington Commandos in the NFL, 1% owner, and he is so proud. He owns part of the Sparks, he owns part of the Dodgers, and he owns part of another team. He owns Starbucks, but Magic Johnson is setting history. And uh, Marlo, I'll let you go. And then Jim, let's talk about the history making of Irvin Magic Johnson. You know, I, I just love magic. I love his energy. You know, he is definitely a businessman. And, you know, just after retiring from the NBA and he's like a go getter. And, you know, just looking at him and his positive attitude and just the things that he does, it's just, you know, it, it, it makes you want to go out and just try to conquer anything that you set your mind to. I think it's amazing and awesome that he is definitely part of that ownership with the Washington Commanders. And um, and I think that they, they're going to actually change it around. It may take them a little bit of time, just a little bit. But I'm pretty sure that he'll definitely bring something, you know, to that organization to help them, you know, um, have a positive outlook and a positive change, um, you know, to that organization. I'm excited for him. Um, as well as others, um, and you know, and he he gives others, uh, African Americans, you know, something to strive for, you know, as well. So, way to go, Magic! I'm happy for him, Jim. Well, you know, I, you know, Howard Schultz would probably be upset to know that Magic owns Starbucks, but he owns <laughs> he has uh, owns a lot of them in the Magic Johnson theaters. He's always put back in the African American community, and he I've heard he wants to own. A hockey team to bring that so more minorities would try to play hockey but you know i we talked about this on our show and i'm like just having magic come in your locker room is going to lift you up and you can't go anywhere but up when you were with the uh daniel snyder regime of the redskins uh football team and now commanders so there's nowhere to go but up and i'm you know kudos to magic and i'll be a partial redskin well no commanders fan because of magic yeah <clears throat> magic is saying already saying jim everything is on the table including even changing the name of the commandos now let's also remember 
this organization, though, has the first African-American full-time running back coach in Jennifer King, who we interviewed on the Mark Jones Show over a year ago. And so how historic Jennifer King and Magic Johnson. And we are just looking for great things from none other than Magic Johnson. And they also have a minority head coach in Ron Rivera. So Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're going to move along. We have a couple of things to talk about when we head over to the men's division. And uh, the FIFA Women World Cup is underway. And the women won their first match against Vietnam. But uh, there were some close matches. Now, there's 32 teams. And uh, Jamaica, Haiti, these teams have played some of the upper echelon teams very close. What have you seen so far, Dr. Kemp? Have you seen any other FIFA Women's Cup? Um, I hadn't watched the other um, games, um, <clears throat> but I definitely uh, watched the U.S. play Vietnam, and that was really uh, exciting. Um, it was an exciting match. Actually, Vietnam came out. They were kind of physical with our team, and um, and they their goalie was um, – was really good because she definitely kept the score um, as low as it was, but they were definitely physical and ready for, um, for the USA, but it was a, a really good match. Um, so I'm excited to just see what else the USA team does um, as well as go watch, you know, some of the other matches. Jim, you know, that first match in a tournament is always tricky. You know, sometimes you downplay your, your opponent and you can mm -hmm. lose it. There were a couple of upsets in the first round, but the U.S. came out very strong. You know, the mix of young and old players. I think they have a tough one this next one. Mm -hmm. But I think that they, they have the weather with all to get past and get to the round, the, for lack of a better word, lightning round, round of 16, where it's yeah. single elimination. Yep. So far, Sophia Smith is leading the way for USA. I think she had two or three goals, or at least was part of them, in the first game for USA. So the United States women are going for their third World Cup in a row. Let's go, ladies. Mm -hmm. Never been done before. Yep. All right. Before we go to the break, this will be the um, end of the women's section tonight. And next week, we will begin to talk about volleyball in the uh, national level, as well as in our different conferences, because we do not want to miss volleyball this year, um, highlighting everything there is to do. Now, let's talk. WNBA, the uh, Las Vegas Ace are 21 and 2. They're running away with the league and in the Western Conference. Leading the Eastern Conference are the New York Liberty at 16 and 5. Let me state this though. The other night, the New York Liberty set an NBA, a WNBA record against the Indiana Fever. They came out and in the first quarter exploded for 43 or 44 points in the first quarter. Brianna Stewart, I think, is the leading vote-getter for the uh, MVP this year. But uh, it's going to come down to New York and the Ace. But Connecticut Sun is going to have something to say about it as well. What do you think so far, Jim? Well, you know, 44 points, that's all-star legend uh, for points in a quarter. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I like what the Aces are doing. Candace Parker's hurt right now. 
But I think mm-hmm. she's due back soon, and they're still 21-2, and two, and we'll probably have a fresh Candace Parker down the stretch. Yeah. The uh, Liberty have a great team, but like you said, coming in first, the Aces will avoid Connecticut and the Connecticut Liberty Series, which is basically like like a subway series because they're not too far away from each other, will be an interesting series to watch if it happens in the uh, playoffs. Mm-hmm. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts? In the second half of the year, what are your thoughts, WNBA? Yeah, the Liberties are definitely um, staying strong and looking, you know, continue to look strong. Um, I'm always excited to watch their games. Um, they definitely um, play very well. Um, and then I'm excited to see, you know, what they will do against, um, you know, the teams on the East Coast as well as what they will do against the uh, the Aces. Mm-hmm. Well, last year's MVP, I'm looking at the stats, and she wasn't here at the beginning of the year. But in the top five scores in the league, Asia Wilson has slid up to number five. She's averaging 3.5 points a game. Defensive leaders, as far as rebounding, Asia Wilson has moved to number one at 9.8 rebounds per game. And then when you come to assist, I think this young lady puts the ace over the top or aces. Chelsea Gray, 6.8 assists a game, is one heck of a player. And you just yeah. watch her and watch the playoffs get closer. Chelsea Gray is, as they say, a dog on that basketball floor. And then one more for blocks. Guess who's number one? You're right. Asia Wilson now leads the league at 2.1 blocks per game. So in four of the six major leading categories, the Ace or Aces have someone in those stats. And like you say, Jim, this is all being done with Candace Parker not even in action yet. So uh, they're going to be tough to beat. They're going to be tough to beat. All right. And you know what, break. Cliff? Go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. If you put what you said about Asia Wilson mm-hmm. with uh, top 10 in scoring, leading in rebounding, leading in blocks, yeah. I think, and they and they might end up going, let's say, 30 and 3. Yeah. She's got to be in the running, probably at the top, for MVP of the league. It'll with be Brianna Stewart. Stewart. Again. Yeah. Definitely. It'll be those two. All right. We're going to go to 30-second break. We're coming right back, Jim. And, Jim, uh, start out, tell us, what's going on down there at FAMU with the Rattlers football program, all right? So let's take it from there. All right. Okay. Burton Friends featuring the absolute very best women's sports and HP athletics before Jim gets started. Everybody in our fourth segment tonight, we're going to be listing the top five shooters in NBA history as well as our top HBCU football players that made the NFL. So start getting your list together. You'll put in the chat then. Jim? Well, for FAMU suspended all football activities last week. <laughs> Because there was a prominent rapper who lives in Tallahassee, shot a video in the 
Gallimore Powell Fieldhouse without proper authorization. It contained graphic language that was not consistent with Florida A&M's core values, principles, and beliefs. And an internal investigation is underway to see who authorized this video and the use of the uh, athletic facilities and using licensed apparel by the university, which uh, violates the university branding and licensing agreement. You know, the coach said he's proud, you know, of uh, free speech, but this has gone too far and he suspended the activities. Now, I read today that Coach Willie Simmons has brought back the activities because he um, has found out, I guess, what he needs to uh, find out. Athletic Director Tiffany Dawn Sykes explained while the football team was able to get back to workouts and meetings, an investigation on a rap video filmed in Rattler's locker room is still underway. Now, that's a refreshing thing to happen where you have a coach that takes the situation head on, unlike what happened in Northwestern, which you'd sign the two or three, four sports involved in that. So this is, you know, I think like an HBCU, they, they get down to business, deal with it, and move on. Jim, I'm glad because uh, Coach Simmons' team last year got out the gate slow because of some mix-up, academic, not having all the players ready to go. Mm-hmm. I thought they were one of the better teams last year and could have challenged Jackson State in the SWAC, maybe been the best team. And I really don't yeah. see them inhibited this year. What do you think? They lost to uh, North Carolina with 25 players out. Then they played Jackson State and lost that game. They were undefeated the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And both of those games were played without key players. I believe their All-American, Isaiah Land, was one of those players who did not play. Yeah. So, you know, Willie Simmons is a stand-up guy, and I, I wish him the best for this year. Mm-hmm. All right. Go Rattlers. Go Rattlers. Let's get it going this year. All right, Jim. What we have next? Now we're talking about the preseason poll. Oh, no, the classics. Yeah. And we have a lot of classics here. But the main ones, I think uh, Jackson State is on August 26th playing uh, South Carolina State in Atlanta. You have uh, the Brick City Classic in Harrison, New Jersey, where Hampton and Grambling play. You have the Labor Day Classic, Alabama State and Southern play in Montgomery, Alabama at Alabama State Stadium. You have Florida A&M and Jackson State, the Orange Blossom Classic, which will be played this year. But next year, Coach Simmons is saying, and Tiffany, the athletic director, are saying that they're going to look at that again because they make more money in a home game. Mm -hmm. And the Hall of Fame game is going to be Morehouse and Virginia Union. September 3rd at Canton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And always, always you have the uh, classic at the end of the year where Grambling and Southern play. Mm -hmm. So they are, and you've got Bethune-Cookman and FAMU playing the Florida classic on November 18th. And Grambling and Southern play in the Superdome on November 25th in the Bayou classic. And Alabama State and Tuskegee play in the Turkey Day Classic. So you 
still have a lot of good football involved. And most of these games will be on some platform, be it NBC with the uh, Southern and Grambling State or uh, Byron Allen's Network. So you'll be able to see most of these games. And they are always very exciting. And you're in your seats for halftime because the bands come out. And that's half of that's a lot of the show right there. Mm-hmm. All right. I think it, I think it's Wait, good too. I was going to say I think it's it's great, you know, that they're having a lot of the classics, you know, because cities like you know like Chicago, where they used to have the football classic, um, it's been back there for a couple of years because they have Mississippi Valley State playing there, and that's like September around the Labor Day weekend. They they're playing Central State. Um, so that was that's another classic you know like you said jim you know everybody you know even if you don't get a chance to go to your your own hbcu homecoming or if you didn't go to college or you know this is a chance for you to attend you know hbcu game and you know and see the band and um so i think it's 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 great that they are um you know they're actually you know continuing the classics mm-hmm. even edward waters is actually in a cl- in the big cat classic i saw i was Uh-oh. like go oh, ahead yeah. <laughs> Dr. Now, and, yeah and, yeah and i, I wanted uh, i remissed in not mentioning the alabama state alabama game which is a magic city classic on october 28th in birmingham mm-hmm. now i love all these classics but what i want to see happen we get backing so they can get money where it's just not a, a even wash, mm-hmm. you know, like the uh, five thousand five, thousand men of Atlanta, black men of Atlanta, used yeah. to bankroll the um, FAMU TSU game, where they would make you know they had to make a lot of money. But I think that we've got to get to the point where <coughs> these schools are coming out with a windfall rather than break even. Mm-hmm. That's right. And while we're doing that, we have to make sure that. This is a good, at these classics, this is a good re- recruiting tool for alumni giving. So, you know, as we, if we can continue oh, yeah. to just increase that, that'll definitely be, you know, helpful. And then so people can see and understand how, how important it is to, you know, just give back just to keep the schools going. And Marlo, right. let me ask you this, because one thing I don't see here is the Southern Heritage Classic. Yes, yeah, I know they were talking about Arkansas Pine Bluff, but it's still on. Yeah, it's still on okay, September. No, 9th. no, I see, I see it now. I see it now. Yeah, Southern Heritage Classic, Arkansas Pine Bluff, and Tennessee State. All righty, which we all attended last year. All righty, all right, we'll get out. We'll attend the classic. All righty, we have Jim. Well. I think the next thing is going to be the preseason rankings of the schools in for the top 10. And number one, anybody want to take a guess? You see the Jackson State. Okay, Cliff's going with Jackson State. He's correct. Their 12 and 1 record last year. They were ranked number two last year. They are atop the polls. Closely behind is FAMU, which is 9 and 2, 9 and 0 after a slow start with missing players. 
Now the team that won it all and was the black college team of the year will be North Carolina Central. And they come back with their supercharged quarterback and will uh-huh. be ready to play. North Carolina A&T is number four. Southern is number five. Alabama State is number six, followed by Alcorn State in Mississippi, Grambling State in Louisiana, Prairie View in Texas, and Howard at D.C. rounding off the top ten. Now, I think that, you know, this is going to be, I think, a good year. Because you don't have, I don't think, now Jackson State is still doing well in recruiting, but it's not yeah. the super team that Dion had. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're going to see some good games. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to it. All right. It's good to see Alcorn State in there. You know, we hadn't really heard too much about them, what, ever since Steve McNair? Steve McNair. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good to see them up there again. Mm-hmm. Jim, speaking of ACU, football how is um all-american isaiah lamb doing he's been drafted by the cowboys tell us about him because we were talking about him all last well, he, year being one of the top players in yes he, he was signed as a i believe free agent by the cowboys i think right now it's looking good for him you know but jerry is unpredictable mm-hmm. but i think he would love to have that feather in his cap so i'm pulling for isaiah land to make the Cowboys or some other team. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was an offensive tackle, offensive tackle from uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. Who drafted him from last year? And how's he doing? Uh, he was not drafted. I believe the only guy, there was only one player drafted. But okay. he did sign with somebody. Right now, I don't know. I can't remember. But the uh, he did sign with somebody. Okay. And a lot of times it's better to not be drafted in the seventh round and be a free agent and sign with a team that has deficiencies in the area that in the position that you play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and One more I know last year Jim. since last year's sensation, James Houston is having a good year, had eight sacks with the Lions after being drafted in the sixth round. They're looking at him to start this year, so we'll see. Okay. Kudos to James out of uh, Jackson State. All right. We'll keep up with all of our HBCU football players. Jim, in baseball, there's a SIAC baseball player who has signed a professional contract. You aware of that one? Tell us about it. Yes, I am. He um, was not drafted, but he was signed – into the major league ranks. And I think, you know, he's going to be starting soon, but you know, it, it, it he was 12 and two. Mm-hmm. So he was a great pitcher. We we've talked about him a bit on our show when we did the highlights. Yeah. So baseball is a different breed where, you know, a lot of undrafted players get to the majors and a lot of drafted players don't. So I'm wishing him the best. And I think he's got a good shot with the team that picked him. All righty. All righty. All right. We got to take just about 30 seconds. Thanks so much, Jim. Great segment. We're going to take about 30 seconds. And then we're coming right back. 
All righty. Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, featuring the absolute very best in all of women's sports and HBCU athletics. Okay, before we get to the next story, Deion Sanders has had another surgery this past weekend. And uh, again, the clots, the blood clots in his leg, he, he hasn't had to have any more toes amputated, but this is his second surgery in about two or three weeks. Jim, what have you heard about that prime time? I've heard that, that he came through well off of his surgery. You know, our prayers are out there for Dion. Hopefully they can, you know, blood clot is a, a silent killer. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they've done enough to make sure that he'll be able to do well the rest of his life. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts? Oh, yeah, we're definitely wishing him all the best um, of health and recovery. Um, and just praying for him and, you know, just hopefully everything just continues to go well, especially, and I hope he doesn't try to rush, you know, to get back, you know, on the field to try to coach and, you know, because I know his, what his first game is scheduled for the first weekend, of course, in September, which is a little over a month away, but um, I just hope that he just kind of, you know, stay where he can recover, you know, correctly and, um just pray for no more clots to form. We yeah. send our prayers to him. Yeah, I just don't want Dion, you know, he says, I'm going to be back by the opener, but um, this many surgeries, um, I just think yeah. this situation could be a little mm-hmm. more serious than meets the eye, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just pray he takes his time. They've got enough coaches out there, and they're going to be okay. But to take care of himself, you know, uh, sometimes Health doesn't care about how much money or fame you have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You got to let the good Lord. Health is well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to let heal itself. So we got to Cliff, very quickly. Go ahead, Jim. Go ahead, Jim. Savannah State pitcher Enrico Peel signed a contract with the Williamsport PA Crosscutters, which is a, a extra t- extra op- a team that provides extra opportunities for college players who have graduated and exhausted their eligibility. So they had nine players selected in the 2023 draft. So mm-hmm. hopefully this is the way to go for Enrique Peel. All right. Amen. All righty. Start warming up your pins. Get ready to talk to the chat. We have two lists tonight. Give me your top five NBA outside shooters. And in breaking them from number one to number five, and while you put them in the chat, I'll go back and forth with Jim, Marlo, and you guys tell me, <clears throat> CBS has a list, and let's see if we come up. I think everybody, number one shooter, all time, NBA, who we have? Steph. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you got that one right. <laughs> Steph Curry. That's right. Leading three-pointer shooter and the most accurate three-point shooter in league history at 
for his career. All righty. Who do we have? Jim, I'll come to you. Number two. What do you think? I'm going to go Reggie, Reggie Miller. Um, close, but no. Not according to CBS poll. It says what Mark Jackson said, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson were the greatest shooter backcourt in history. They laughed at him. But it turns out, at least according to this poll, that's true. Clay Thompson, especially prior to him getting hurt a few years ago, he owns the record for the most three quarters made in a single game. He had 14. In one game, he needed just 29 minutes and only 11 dribbles to score. You got it, 60 points. Clay Thompson, remember, when he gets hot, okay, you can shut the gym down. And we'll never know what he would have been had he not been on the team where he was the number one option. Mm. Clay Thompson. That's, that's what I think holds him back. Yeah. The fact Dr. that Kemp, he had thoughts? to play with Steph. Yeah. Dr. Kemp, what's your thoughts? Clay Thompson. Oh, yeah. I had Clay for number two because without uh, without Steph and Clay playing off of each other, I think they definitely motivate each other, um, you know, to elevate both their games. And like you said, once they start and get hot, it's it's all over. But I also yeah. agree with what you all said as well. If he can step, possibly step out of the shadows, you know, of of a Steph, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, then maybe. Who knows, you know, how much more he can um, score. And, you know, and then that way that will push Steph, you know, because they both love the competition. So, um, but good that they are both, you know, playing together. So, I was definitely, he was definitely on number two. All righty. Number three. Who do we have on this list? Dr. Kemp, I'm coming to you first. Dr. Kemp? I'm going to go old school. I'm going to say Larry Bird. All right, Jim. Now, if Marlo gets this one right, I'm going to say no pun intended. She's got cliff notes. But anyway. (laughs) Who you got, Jim? I have, you know, I'm going to say Ray Allen. You got it. It's Ray Allen. Uh, He had that three-point epic tying in game six of the 2013 NBA Finals. But uh, Ray Allen, they say before each game, each contest, he takes about 300 shots. All across the court, very depends of motion. So he's ready to go for muscle memory by the time we see him on TV. But uh, Ray Allen, number three, we're going to move on. Move on. Number four. Jim, I'll let you go first. I got to go back to Reggie Miller. Okay, Marlo? You know, he, he had the record before um, Steph, so yeah. All right, Marlo? Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's who I was saying, Reggie Miller. All right. Nope, you're wrong. CBS has, you got it, legend Larry Bird. Yeah. <laughs> it says, <laughs> as Larry Bird played in the era of three-point friendlies today, he may have well this entire list. That's true. He once was so good, he once scored 47 points in a game using only his left hand. He said that he was shooting his left hand before playing the Portland Trailblazers. And did it. <laughs> Larry Bird also won a three-point contest and never took off his warm-up jacket. He went in the locker room before the contest, and he asked everybody in there who's coming in second. That's legend, Larry, <laughs> legend, yes. number four. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
All right. You already knew. Guess Once what? he had the ball in his hand, it was over. Yeah. Number five. All right. Merlo, Merlo, Merlo. Come to you first. Let me see. Number five. Steve Kerr. You're not going to go to, with a bull. Yeah, that's right. Chicago. Jim? Man, I got to go. I got to go with Reggie Miller. He's got third time. Better be the charm. But anyway. <laughs> You're right, Jim. You're right, Jim. Uh -huh. It was Reggie Miller who was once time considered to be the greatest shooter of all time. And this is before Ray Allen and Steph Curry came along. Uh, he led the league in um, all-time career scoring points. Even though he was considered the greatest shooter, he's still the second best basketball player in his own family, okay? Sarah Miller <laughs> used to kick his tail and tell me. <laughs> Yes, and he had a brother that was a catcher too. Yes, for baseball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We want to welcome Danita Hayes to the show tonight. All righty, now let's go real quick. Top five HBCU football players, okay, that have played in the NFL. We're just gonna get the top five. Some of you may know. <laughs> Some of them. Hey, we'll see. Jim, we'll give you number one. Top five. I got to go with the, the highest. Yeah, no, too tall Jones was. But the highest quarterback ever drafted from HBC, which would be Steve McNair, who I actually knew. And our sons played together in Nashville. I'm going to go with Steve McNair. Marlo? I'm going to say number one. Yep. Uh, it's going to be between Walter Payton and Jerry Just Rice. One, one. Okay. Ooh. Jerry Rice. You got it, Marlo. Jerry Rice. Let me tell you, he was phenomenal. Now he's a great receiver, but he's arguably the greatest football player in the game's history. No one had the kind of career he had, and he not only does he hold numerous NFL records, but boy, he has so many records in college, and no one paid attention when he was down at Mississippi Valley State. Okay, mm -hmm. Jerry Rice was a, a a player. We're not gonna go through all the stats, but um, he he had quite. He finished his career with 301 receptions at Mississippi Valley State, 4,690 receiving yards, and 50 receiving touchdowns. I remember when he got drafted <clears throat> by the 49ers on draft day. None of the fans knew what Mississippi Valley State was, and they booed. They wondered what Bill Walsh was doing, but it didn't take him long. Him and Montana got together to realize where Mississippi Valley mm -hmm. State was. Let's move on. Number two. Number two. Number two. Number two. Jim? Mm, it's on me. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go Walter Payton, but just to Jerry Rice, he's got records that will never be broken in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Dr. Kerr? Mm -hmm. Number two. Walter. Walter from Chicago, from the Bears. We'll give it to you. Sweetness. That's right. He wasn't recruited from any schools outside of Mississippi, and he was from Mississippi. So he decided to go to Jackson State, and the rest is history. Time speaking. Number three, Marlo. Um, I'm going to follow Renee and say Doug Williams. Okay. Jim? Go back to McNair. Old school, old school. Junius Buck Buchanan, defensive end at a Grambling State University. 
And if you can find some mm-hmm. old film, you're going to agree with this, okay? Old school, played in the 60s, but he was an absolute, absolute beast, okay? Let's go on. Number four. Marlo. Uh, I'm going to add two tall Jones. Okay, Jim. I'm going to say the same thing. He was the number one overall pick, so. Okay. Now, remember, HBCUs had players in the pros for a long time. But you can agree with this one, too. Jackie Slater, offensive tackle, Jackson State University, and uh, another member of the Jackson State's 1974 playing team, and he's one of the great linemen in NFL history, offensive linemen. Um, he retired in 1995. Anybody old school wouldn't argue with that, okay? Number five. Jim, we'll let you go first. All we're gonna to do tonight. Number five. No, thanks, pal. Um, <laughs> you know, you got you got players like Bob Hayes, stuff like just that. Just one. Come on, Jim. Just one. <laughs> I just said Bob Hayes. I'm gonna leave it to that. All right, Marlo. Um. 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 HBCU. I'm gonna throw in there Richard Dent. Right. Mm. And you both were wrong. Number five, <laughs> Doug Williams. Hey, Ramblin. Oh. All right, Renee, Renee got that one. Uh-huh. Yeah. He won Super Bowl, Super Bowl 22. And remember, he beat John Elway, who was quarterbacking for the Broncos at that time. Doug Williams won 36 great games while he was in the SWAT conference and led the NCAA in passing yards, 30 yards, touchdowns, and yards per play as a senior. Doug Williams, and he played for who? A legendary. Who's the coach, Marlo? Um, 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 Eddie Robinson. I know. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. We're gonna brush up, brush up <laughs> on our new football season. Good job, everybody. Good job, everybody. Okay. Listen. August fourteenth, we have the dynamic. Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes, Gulf Coast Athletic Conference Commissioner, one of the most powerful, influential women in sports, and she's a trailblazer. She'll be right here on Dr. Clifford and Friends. We're starting our first full season of covering all women's sports and HBCU athletics. We have some dynamic guests lined up, and some dynamic guests that we're going to be inviting on the show. And uh, we want you to be here this time the whole ride. We didn't start our show until November last year. But this is our first year covering a full year of HBCU athletics. So we want to say thank you to all those 35 engaged tonight, as well as 12 who are here in the studio with us. And uh, as usual, if you want more sports, more NFL, more Major League Baseball, NBA, you can turn in Mark Jones and Friends on Wednesday night, 9 to 11, or 9, 10 a.m., okay? And then also... During the week. Drop, Drop the, the mic. mic. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell us about it, Jim. Drop the mic sports with Mark Jones at six to seven Monday through Friday on Superstation 910 AM. All righty. And we want to thank everybody. Continue to spread the word. We are growing. We don't measure ourselves so much by followers, but we measure ourselves by downloads. That means you're spreading the word. And we are now over 600 and so shows 
that people are downloading to hear us after we do this on the air. And we want to say thank you to you and all those who are listening. Continue to report, support Dr. Cliff Burton Friends featuring the absolute very best in all of the sports and HBCU athletics. Marlo, let me give you the last word before we go, as usual. Well, we thank everybody for listening and we send our prayers. We're going to say some extra prayers for Coach Prime that he definitely continues to, to heal and get well and not try to rush back. Um, and we definitely uh, lift up uh, Jamie Foxx. It's good to see him yeah. um, doing a video yeah. that he's doing well. Um, so once again, thank everybody for listening. All righty. We'll see everybody back in 168 hours from now. Thank you, everybody. Continue to spread the word.